Mr. Speaker. You're at the intersection of business and politics. This is the 14th and G podcast from Melman Castagnetti, Rosen and Thomas. Now, here's our host, Dean Hinkson. Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I am your host, Dean Hinkson. Not quite summer here in the city, our nation's capital, but certainly hot enough for late spring. The action really heating up on Capitol Hill. We've got compromise legislation on guns and maybe a China competition bill working their way through a Congress hurtling towards its Independence Day recess. With moving on appropriations, the annual defense bill, privacy and antitrust as well. Policy debate's not the only thing boiling over. Consumer inflation clocked another record. Gas looks like it's headed towards six. I think somebody here paid close to seven bucks a gallon. The Fed jacked interest rates, sending stock markets and cryptocurrency prices plummeting even further. And oh yeah, guys, it's an even-numbered year, which means the midterm elections are now firmly in sight. What do we make of it all? In these trying times, I turn to my colleagues here at the firm for comfort, consolation, reassurance, Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas, here to help me break it all down. We're going to cover all of 2022 in 22 minutes. Bruce, David, welcome to 14th and G. Thanks, Dean. Thank you, Dean. I don't know how much comfort we're going to give, but we'll uh, we'll try. <laughs> well, let's start with uh, some sort of late-breaking news here. It sounds like there is movement on this China competition bill. Just to set the scene, the Senate passed a bipartisan compromise bill. The House passed a Democrat-only version of China competition. It's been stalled in a formal conference to resolve the differences between the House and Senate bill. What Republican senators have been saying for months now is the House needs to swallow hard, take the Senate package, and maybe they're going to take the Senate package plus some trade adjustment assistance to get this thing moving. Going to happen? Uh, it sure feels like it. It feels like we finally had a good week in this uh, conference. It's been going on for a couple of months now. Um, I think we've reached that point in the year where leadership and members realize the window is closing for what can get done before the midterms. And I think the top of the list right now is the is the uh, China competition bill, Uzika, whatever you want to call it. The reports, I think, are true. And this is what we've picked up from our conversations with, with staff on the Hill, sort of acknowledging what we knew was going to happen all along, that the bill was going to be closer to the Senate version. Uh, it seems like a lot of stuff fell off overnight uh, on that. If that is, in fact, the case, we may be close to an agreement. That is one of the things that could get done um you know, by the July 4th, uh, well, maybe agreement by the July 4th recess, but maybe done before the August recess. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm optimistic, too. And, and this reminds me a little, Dean, of infrastructure, where, you know, infrastructure had 69 votes out of the Senate. This bill had 68 votes out of the Senate, a genuine bipartisan compromise. The reports of death of bipartisanship are, are at least somewhat exaggerated. You know, and in both cases, the House decided, well, you know, there's not been a compromise with us. I think we're in an environment where if you get 68, 69 votes out of the Senate, that's a bipartisan deal. Grab it and run with it. Yeah, you throw the trade title, the tax title uh, overboard. Uh, you go with the sort of the core of the bill is this National Science Foundation funding, plus, of course, the chips. And let's not forget the open RAN uh, funding piece of this bill that would help onshore uh, semiconductor production uh, and, and move along the 5G effort. So, yeah, the people saying we haven't been compromised with our House Republicans. Uh, are we going to get anybody to come along with this? 
That's a great question. You, you would think if they embrace the bill that the Senate had as bipartisan with all the Republicans that they had, you ought to be able to get um, some number of Republicans. You, in infrastructure, I think you would have gotten a lot of Republicans had it not been tied to Build Back Better before it was detached from Build Back Better. You can't rerun it, but it felt like it was less of a partisan thing coming straight out of the Senate. Um, that said, the, the minority party in the House, and it's true of the Republicans now, it was true of the Democrats under Trump, uh, and under Bush, I, I, I saw firsthand the minority party in the House is generally uh, trying to oppose anything. And in this case, what the House Republicans say is nobody ever asked our opinion. You know, the only thing worse than swallowing hard uh, with what the uh, Democrats tell us we got to take is swallowing hard with what the Senate tells us we got to take. So wait a minute. I just have to go back to something here, because uh, on the infrastructure package, which was bipartisan, a very strong bipartisan vote in the Senate. Are you telling me that the House Republicans were, were uh, for it before they were against it? I feel like I've heard that before, Bruce, here. No, uh, no. I think I have. I'm saying that. They, so let me just get this straight. They were they didn't vote for it because they thought that Build Back Better might be attached to it, but it was never attached to it. And it's Build Back Better still hasn't happened. I'm so that saying, was their statement. No, I'm saying the master of choosing his words carefully, President Joe Biden, said the bills have to ride together. Speaker Pelosi said the bills are attached. We can go back and look at the game films, look at the clips. 1,000% the Dems tie these two bills. What I'm saying is, after a big bipartisan compromise on infrastructure, after every week of the Trump presidency was infrastructure week, I think if you had moved it and not tied it to Build Back Better, as the president did and as the speaker did, you'd have had a better shot at picking up more Republicans than you did. Dean, I'll just note for the record that the infrastructure bill has been uh, signed into law for uh, quite a while now. And uh, there's no, there was nothing attached to it. It was an infrastructure <laughs> bill, and uh, that's exciting. Not, not only, I, I'd also just like to point out here that I know Bruce has been keeping track of all of the bills that have been moving through, that the predictions of Congress being stuck in the mud are uh, not working here. Uh, uh, so maybe Joe Biden's a, uh, you know, a better leader here in uh, moving bills forward than maybe you care to admit. It's certainly <laughs> what they're going to run. They're, they're looking for something to run on here, right? And uh, it looks like we have a compromise uh, on gun legislation uh, this China competition bill, uh, they, they want to make the case. The White House seems to be stepping in here because they want to make the case uh, we're getting things done. they got to reframe this midterm election like really quick because all the other signs are looking really bad. I just want to go back to one piece because uh, so many of the folks we work with care about this. The, the big Republican ask here has been guardrails for this CHIPS open-ran funding, outbound investment. Uh, review. They, they want some form of that. Casey Cornyn, McCall, and others have, have put out a proposal on outbound investment. Uh, could be a big piece there. Well, look, I think limits on outbound investment are a matter not of if, but of when. Um, secondarily, there will be, okay, well, what do you put limits on? Do you put limits on any investment in any way, or do you just go with things that might advance China's military capabilities or state-of-the-art and technology? They're really important, really challenging questions. They won't be settled by any stretch on this legislation, whether it includes outbound or not. Expect to see more of the same debate on the National Defense Authorization Act towards the fall. Uh, expect to see over the next decade ongoing efforts to try to understand, you know, how do we best compete with China? We want to keep selling them their stuff. We want to keep buying some stuff. But we also want to make sure we're protecting our intellectual property, we're uh, uh, defending our allies, and we're maintaining our lead in the critical technologies of the future. This is a challenging, fraught environment 
uh, for multinationals, and it's going to stay that way. The, the, the other big item uh, working its way through Congress in some form or fashion is on consumer privacy. Uh, we're in our second decade of trying to get a federal consumer privacy law. I Next think... year in Jerusalem, my friend. <laughs> We've all seen this show before, but... Uh, We do, for the first time, have a bipartisan, bicameral agreement on those two Jerusalem questions of uh, private right of action, giving consumers a private right of action for data privacy violation, uh, and federal preemption, a federal law that actually uh, would take precedence over the many state laws that now exist on consumer privacy. Three corners. You've got the chair and ranking member of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and you have the ranking member of the Senate Commerce Committee. The missing fourth corner, which is actually a missing load-bearing wall, uh, is the chairwoman of the Senate Commerce Committee, Maria Cantwell. She has her own effort going uh, and does not seem to be participating uh, in what the other uh, what the other three corners here are, are proposing. Is this something that gets done, or can can you move this without Cantwell? I don't think you can move it without uh, Senator Cantwell. That's a that's a that's a tall order here, and uh, and you're right. Uh, a three corners agreement is not a four corners agreement. Um, I, I, back to where we we started here, but we are in that window where things need to move pretty quickly if they're going to get done. And I think that's why we've seen some aggressive movements on privacy uh, over in the House. We're going to have a markup over there. It uh, looks like next week. Um, but if Senator Cantwell, uh, you know, she is the chair of the Committee of Jurisdiction, and if she is not on board, that bill doesn't have to move. Right. So uh, there's a lot more work to be done there. I suspect it may get uh, punted to uh, next year. I, I don't disagree. And, and not only is she the chair, but there are also uh, Senator Schatz, a very engaged in tech policy senator, has, what, 18 senators with him uh, looking to make this uh, legislation tougher and stronger you know, which which uh, runs the risk of, of uh, running some of the Republicans who are at the table out of town. Republicans seeing the chance to have federal preemption are, are, are willing to have a uh, hopefully modest private right of action. Those who are more troubled by or less trusting of technology want to see less federal preemption of strong state legislation and more private rights of action. So, you know, compromise feels tough. And, uh, and if you go too far left, you're going to lose the R's you got. I'd say that you briefly mentioned it, Dean, but the other uh, bill that, that obviously I'm watching here is to see on this uh, uh, possible gun legislation that Senator Murphy and Senator Cornyn have b- been working on. feels like they are very, very close to, to actually having uh, legislative language at this point to move forward. They very much want to get this uh, done and out of the Senate by July 4th. Um, Speaker Colosi is committed to bringing it up in the House as soon as it gets over there. I think that in addition uh, to, the, to the CHIPS package are the things that uh, could get done uh, this summer. And if you get both of those two bills done, that those are major accomplishments. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. This, uh, this would be the first piece of federal firearms-related legislation probably since the assault weapons ban in 92. Yeah, that's correct. It would be uh, almost 30 years uh, since that bill was passed. Uh, the really last time the Senate took an effort uh, to try to do this was in April of 2007. So there's been a lot of turnover. There are a lot of new new players who, who uh have not had a chance to vote on this. And I think in light of the tragedies that have gone around in the country, there are a lot of members who want to vote on this. And I, you know, what's encouraging to me and what Senator Murphy has been saying all along is we have to get something done. He is not going to get everything he wants on this. He's obviously very aggressive on these issues um, and, and very close to the to folks in Newtown uh, over the past 10 years on this. I think he can get something done. So I'm, uh, I'm optimistic there. And I'm really hopeful too, DT. And I think part of this is 
you know, uh, the, to the credit of the Democratic leadership, they wanted legislation this time and not an issue. And you could debate after the tragedy at Parkland whether they decided that they weren't going to compromise and they were fine with an issue to take to the voters, which helped them debatably uh, win both both chambers in 2018. It's something we talked about a moment ago. I mean, there is a lot of bipartisan legislation happening this Congress. You don't see it on Fox. You don't see it on MSNBC. Postal Service Reform Act, 79 senators. Ocean Shipping Reform Act, 369 in the House. That's big. Infrastructure, 69 senators. Defense authorization, 88 senators. There are two ways to take it. Your way is because Joe Biden's a brilliant leader. My way is because when Democrats are willing to compromise with Republicans in a super tight Congress and work together, not on what everybody wants, but on middle-of-the-road compromise stuff, they succeed. And when either party tries to jam my way or the highway down, they have an issue and not legislation. Man, I think we've got our replacement for Louisa Terrell over at White House Ledge Affairs if uh, she decides <laughs> to move on after the midterms. I think you'd be a great head of legislative affairs at uh, the White House. Maybe, but I'm, wouldn't I be off message not crediting the president with thinking he's FDR here or LBJ? <laughs> I don't know. He's getting a lot done. You know, we get it's a great point. I mean, we get we, we get really caught up in the fact that the Congress and the administration don't hit big home runs on, on on big, big issues, but they do bat singles and doubles. Uh, postal reform doesn't get, garner a lot of headlines. Uh, China competition uh, doesn't fit into uh, that cable news soundbite, but these things are happening. Now, you know, guns is one of those, uh, one of those major uh, third rail issues. Uh, we expect the Supreme Court's going to issue an opinion in the uh, Jackson v. Dobbs, potentially overturning Roe v. Wade. Bruce, can Democrats at this point, hitting some singles and doubles, maybe hitting a big run here, a, a Supreme Court potentially overturning uh, Roe v. Wade, can they reframe the election around some or any of these issues? No. <laughs> I, look, it's, it's the inflation election, uh, yeah. given the price of fuel and food, both of which remain jacked up, among other reasons, as a result of Russia, Ukraine, and, and for that matter, some weather-related uh, supply chain challenges. We're going to be paying a ton of money, and that has people pissed off. Since World War II, there have only been two midterm elections when presidents haven't lost seats in the House. And if you lose any seats, you're going to lose the House. So the House is gone. They were, after 9-11, God forbid that repeats. And in 1998, when you had peace and prosperity and Newt Gingrich, such a foil that the election was about him. Kevin McCarthy's not that kind of foil. You don't have MTG and others way down dais aren't going to work. Um, it's uh, the wave is absolutely going to swamp the Dems in the House, uh, and they're going to only be saved because there just aren't that many seats you can pick up. So you can't pick up 60, but you might pick up 30. DT, the latest uh, Democratic uh, canary in the coal mine has come back deceased. <laughs> the special election in the Texas 34th. Uh, electing uh, Myra Flores, uh, turning a longtime, uh, very deep blue district red uh, there in the Rio Grande Valley. What's your best case scenario? For, for that particular seat? I mean, that that was a unique election because it was running under the current district uh, lines, uh, which expire in four months here. So she will be actually Current district lines are like D plus 20. Uh, uh, <laughs> correct, but she's going to be running against a sitting member of Congress in the election. So, uh, look, I, I think the larger thing that I'll, I'll respond to Bruce is I, uh, Bruce is right. I mean, history is not on uh, the Democrats' uh, side here. It will be very, very, very difficult to hang on 
uh, to the House and Senate here. I'm going to make um, you the NRCC spokesman when you move me over to uh, um, Ledge Affairs. So going back to 1998, why did, uh, were the, the Democrats able to, to pick up seats? It's because the Republicans overplayed their hands. And I think that uh, uh, there is a chance uh, that that could happen again. And uh, the one thing that I've, I've noticed that my Republican colleagues have not mentioned yet, and we're over halfway through this, is, is perhaps what the biggest event in town here is, which is the uh, hearings on January 6th. They are riveting. Uh, they are a full accounting of what has happened. They've got hundreds of thousands of documents. They interviewed thousands of people, and they are now presenting a case in a bipartisan way. I think what Liz Cheney is doing up there is, is such a credit to the nation and really Im impressive work here. I think what they're showing is that the Republican Party, what remains of it, is based on conspiracies, insults, and blind loyalty to Donald Trump. And that's it. There are very few Republicans at this point who are willing to stand up and just, I mean, believe your lying, you know, are you going to believe your lying eyes? The video and the testimony is stunning. And, uh, you know, if Republicans uh, are able to take over the House, that is really concerning based on what had happened a little over a year ago. I, I, I say to my Republican friends, if Benny Thompson and Zoe Lofgren and Liz Cheney drive you to distraction, uh, pull the hearings up on YouTube and fast forward. Just listen to what everyone from Jared Navanka to Attorney General Bill Barr uh, to the campaign lawyers were telling the president, and then look at what the president was telling us. That's all you really have to see. And I, I disagree, David. I, the committee is doing a disservice. They have got to release the full transcripts of all of these depositions and interviews. Put the full record out there. I want to see the full record. I don't want to just see the clips. And for some reason, uh, thus far, they've been holding on to that information. But it is, I will agree with you, it is stunning what the president was obviously being told. And it's not, it was not blind loyalty. There was a reason at the end of the day, the president of the United States was down to an inebriated Rudy Giuliani, the guy that makes pillows, uh, and some fringe attorneys. The environmental attorney. Yeah, because everyone else was telling him he had lost. Where I only disagree, E.T., is... I just don't think this is going to move the needle in the midterm elections. I think uh, even some of these extraordinary things, like a, you know, the president said maybe Mike Pence deserves it, have been reported. They're baked in. The, you know, the, the they won't cause voters to to review the appendices and decide. Whoa, you know, on Appendix Six, uh, that the people who are who are watching it, twenty million of them, pretty much have formed opinions. Um, they have, uh, you know, they they've kind of been seen and measured. Uh, the midterms are going to be a Republican wave, notwithstanding January 6th. I, I fear you are absolutely right. Uh, the House does look pretty much gone for the Democrats. I mean, they've only we've only got a, Republicans need only flip a net five seats uh, to take the speaker's gavel. The Senate's a little bit different picture, uh, and that picture is now coming a little more into focus. Four must-win races uh, now have nominees in Pennsylvania, Dr. Mehmet Oz, uh, in Ohio, uh, author J.D. Vance, in Georgia, former UGA professional football standout Herschel Walker, and in North Carolina, Congressman Ted Budd. Bruce, is this, a, this, this is the lead team to take back the Senate majority for Republicans. Are these blue chip recruits? What could go wrong? You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not a witch is what could go wrong. Although, 
the president clearly has, the former president, I should say, had seems to have two priorities. One, he wants people loyal to the false narrative of the 2020 elections having been stolen, which they weren't. But second, he obviously prefers celebrity candidates, you know, and taking a page from his own book. As we've all seen, celebrity candidates can succeed spectacularly um, and they can flame out spectacularly. I don't look at the moment at, at uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, or Georgia and say Republicans have lost, uh, but I do say there are three very untested celebrity candidates, all of whom could blow all four tires in the next turn and, you know, and skid out in flames to the side. Wouldn't shock anybody, as opposed to like a Dave McCormick, who would have won by five or ten points in Pennsylvania. I look at Oz, Vance, Walker, and Bud, and I see the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> oh. This is the you know, this is the golden chance here for Democrats to hang on to the Senate is to knock off a few of those guys. And I tell you what, the Democrats have a shot in every one of those races. We'll see how it plays out. Uh, we will see how it plays out. So much more to come on the political front, on the policy front, and we will be back to cover 2022 in 22 minutes. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, thank you guys. You did give me reassurance uh, today on 14th. And you June. have low standards, my friend, and happy to scale that bar. <laughs> Thanks, Dean. Thanks for listening to today's podcast, brought to you by the lobbying firm of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas. For more, just type 14th and G podcast into your favorite search engine or look for 14th and G wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe. Beam me up, Mr. Speaker.